Thank you for watching our Cedar Hill YouTube channel. We hope you enjoy this week's message. And I want you to go quickly with me to the book of Matthew. We're going to start in Matthew. Matthew uh, verse 11. Verse 11. No, just find verse 11 in Matthew. That'll help you. Uh, (laughs) Chapter 11. And we're going to start at verse 28 in a moment. I just want to share a, um, a testimony with you guys quickly. A, a couple of weeks ago, Karina and I were, flew down to um, East London to be part of a conference down there um, with one of our cotton churches. And Cor and I were at the airport. Her dad had dropped us off, graciously dropped us off at the airport. And we had just checked in. And um, while, actually, while we were checking in, I, I got a phone call. And it was for a Johannesburg number. And I kind of was, uh, and I'm the kind of person that, I need to answer the phone. <laughs> I know there's a lot of you who are like, oh, that can wait. I'm just kind of that person. Hey, hey, you know, somebody might want to do something nice for me. You know? so, so I answered the phone, and it, it was a young lady who said, Hi, you know, do you have a couple of moments to chat? And I realized I'm actually busy checking in. And need, so I said, can I phone you back in about 10 minutes? And she was very gracious and said, sure, no problem. And so we checked in, and about 10 minutes later, I phoned her back. And uh, she began to tell me uh, a testimony, something that God had done in her life. Um, we had myself and Rion and Corrine, I think John Arnold was with us as well. We had gone up to one of the cotton churches up in Johannesburg. Uh, so Paul Dennison, Paul was here a couple of weeks ago um, at his church um, up in Johannesburg. And we had been there and she shared this testimony with me. And I said, All right, can you do me a favor? Can you put it in writing? Can you send it to me? Because I'd love to share it with our church. And this is the SMS she sent me um, yesterday, I think it was. She said, um, during the finance course, so we went up and we were part of a, of a finance course with Tony Fitzgerald and, and Keith and Shelley and stuff, and she said, during the finance course, Rion and Paul prayed for us, you, Rion, and, and Paul prayed for us and shared with us a prophetic word. So much of that prophetic word was spot on, but the real encouragement came from a word you gave, which was, make room for children. So we didn't know anything about them, anything about their context context, and this is what I felt to share with him. You see, we had been struggling to fall pregnant and had booked into a fertility clinic. We were in, pardon me, we booked into a fertility clinic. We nearly canceled this appointment after the word, believing that God was more than able to give us a child. So they get this word, they've got this appointment, so they're thinking, maybe let's cancel it. Anyway, well, if the rest of the story, they should, maybe should have canceled it. Anyway, we decided to go and receive and received quite devastating news. I was diagnosed with two conditions, endometriosis and premature ovarian failure. So she had gone into premature, well, what's that thing called? Oh, now I've forgotten. Menopause, that's what it is. Menopause, that's the, the thing. So she's a young lady, and she'd gone into premature menopause, and this is the diagnosis that she had received. Um, she went on to write, uh, the second makes it very difficult for one to conceive naturally. I was booked in for an operation a month later to receive the endometriosis. During the tough time, we took a step of faith and booked in for a parenting course at church. So I'd given this word, make room for children. <laughs> She's been told by the doctor, no way. A fertility clinic, no way. But they go to a parenting course. They're making room, right? I also started clearing out the spare room in the place we were renting to make room for children. One Sunday, we decided to look at a house just for fun and fell in love with it. My husband, who is the most cautious spender, said we should make an offer. We did and were told by everyone assisting us that the banks would never approve the loan as I had just started a job as a sole proprietor and did not have the financial backing or or the finances um, 
to back our earnings. By God's grace, the bond was approved, and we proceeded to put all our savings into the house, all that we had. Looking back, we realized it was kind of crazy, as that money should have been set aside for RVF. It was the money they were supposed to spend to have this child. The day after we put the last of our savings into the house, I realized I had missed my period and decided to take a pregnancy test. We were pregnant. Big exclamation marks. God truly made room for children. We still cannot believe that we are going to be parents. Oh, on top of it all, God has already miraculously provided enough to cover my maternity leave. We feel so blessed, amazed, and thankful um, for, all the pow- for, for an all-powerful God. Thank you for taking the step of faith to pray and share with us. Your word was such an encouragement in some very dark times. Have a wonderful weekend. God bless Angie. How awesome is that? So part of the call, the mark that is on this house as a church is that we are an apostolic house. And what it means to be an apostolic house is that God has put something here, not just for here, not just for this local church, not just for a man's and toady, but for far greater than that. Yeah? I want to say this, myself and Rian, we prayed over them as a family, and Paul, Paul was with us. There is nothing significant about us. I gave a word. God was faithful. This is the reality. We do serve an all-powerful God. But there is a grace that is upon this house that as God sends people from this house, they carry that grace, they carry His glory, they carry His power, and they become an encouragement to those that are around us. Now, I want to say that that grace is not just upon those that lead this church. It's upon you. It's upon you as a believer because, you know, one of the things that we have tried to press probably over the last year and a bit is the priesthood of all believers. So that looks like this on a Sunday. When we pray for the sick, how often do you see myself or Sid or any of the elders praying for anybody? When we say let's pray, we ask people to stand and then we get you to pray. You know, people have been radically healed because you laid your hands on them, because you had faith to trust the Lord, because you listened to him. That's Max and, and Leela's story. There wasn't a pastor there. They went, we've got to wrestle the problem. We, hey, come on, we Christians, we, we've got to trust Jesus somewhere in the middle of this. And they began to trust the Lord. And it's something that God is graciously marking this house with. And, and I'm grateful for that. So I want to encourage you, this is not my sermon, but I just felt to share that. I also want to pray in a moment for those that maybe are struggling to bear children. I just feel the Bible says in the book of Revelation, Revelation 19.10, that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Right. So what's this a testimony of? Jesus did a miracle in Angie's life, and where she couldn't bear a child, he graciously moved and gave her a child. That's the testimony of Jesus, not the testimony of Wesley Paul Venus or Rion Allen or anybody else. It's the testimony of what Jesus is able to do, right? And so the Bible says that when we give that testimony, it becomes the spirit of prophecy. What is prophecy? Prophecy is a declaration out of heaven, New Testament. If it's an encouragement, it's, it's God declaring what is possible in your life because of who he is. And so when that testimony is released, it becomes a prophetic word. And anybody in the room can say, yes, Father, that's for me. I want to trust you for that. So in a moment, I want to pray um, for those that are, that, that are trusting the Lord for a child if you haven't been able to fall pregnant. We're just going to trust Jesus for that. But I had a point and now I've forgotten. Okay, I was going to say something else, but it doesn't matter. I want to ask if there's anybody here this morning, any lady, and it can be a guy too, hey, because uh, the, guy, the guy can be the problem, right? <laughs> well, no, 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 that's not, that's not the right thing to say, hey. <laughs> 
It can, it, there can be a host of things that need to happen, but God can deal with any of them because all things are possible. Excuse me. So if there, is, uh, there are couples here, married couples, and you are trusting Jesus for a baby, you haven't yet been able to fall pregnant. Is there anybody? Would you just raise your hand? Is there anybody with us this morning? Is there no one? Is that you? Okay. So I'm going to ask you to, is there in the back over there too? Married couples and you're trusting the father for a child. Okay. So I want to stand. I did see, if you, if you are, would like to stand for a family member, so if you have a daughter or a niece or a nephew, and they as a couple have been trusting the Lord for a baby and they haven't been able to fall pregnant, would you just stand where you are? Just where you are. Awesome. So we're going to trust Jesus together, right? We're going to do that, hey. So, um, all right. So now what we're going to do is those that are around you are going to stand with you. And if you are seated somewhere else and there's not someone around you, then I'm very happy for you. Just take a brief moment where you are. Get up and go to that person. Won't you gather around them? And we're just going to speak a better word over them, hey. It's going to be a better word that's going to encourage them to stand in faith. So just where you are, come on, gather around that person. All things are possible. Thank you, Jackie. You are a prophetic picture of what God is able to do this morning. <laughs> a beautiful prophetic picture. And so won't you just take a moment, just declare, make room for children, just declare God's blessing and favor, whatever it may be, just speak the promises of heaven over them right now and thank the Father for His goodness. So Lord, we release the testimony this morning of a miraculous thing that you've done for Angie and her husband, and we just release release that word in this room today, and it's a testimony that's become a word of prophecy, and we thank you, Father, in the wonderful name of Jesus, miracle-working power. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And now as you've prayed, won't you just take a moment and thank God. Thank God for his, his, his faithfulness. Thank God for children. Thank God for the miraculous. Thank him that he's doing great and wondrous things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Come on. Thank you, Father. Just take a few moments if you need to finish. Cool. Awesome. Thank you, Lord. So I, um, I just want to say one last thing about us being an apostolic house. So I want to ask you as a family, in praying for us, to declare those things over this house, that we're an apostolic house. So uh, next weekend on Thursday corner, I travel down to Port Alfred. We're off to PE, and we're ministering at a church down in Port Alfred. And just trusting God for the miraculous. Just trusting God for healing. When we were in East London, we just saw some really, really beautiful manifestations of God's goodness. Some people getting healed. Uh, some people just prophetic words. It was wonderful. It was amazing. And you get to be part of that as we get to be part of that. And God is doing something significant out of CD Hill Church. This was his plan, his purpose, his idea. And he's got something great in store. It's not just on me. It's not just on the eldership. It's on us as a family. God wants you to go into the world wherever you find yourself and do the thing that God's called you to do because there's great power in it, great power to set the captives free and to bring people into liberty. Amen? So you there in Matthew verse 11? Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. You'll know the scripture when I start reading it. This is what it says. It says, come to me, Jesus speaking, all you who labor and are heavy laden. He says, I will give you 
rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now, if you have a Bible or you have it on a notepad or something like that, I want you to underline, underline learn from me. Just a moment. This, these are Jesus' words. These are, these are powerful words. These, are, these words are spirit and life, according to John 6. These are the words that bring transformation. Remember last week we spoke about the word being this living, powerful, transformative um, reality in our lives? These words that Jesus is speaking, he's saying, these words, learn from me. Learn from me. I want you to underline that quickly. He says, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That word soul is the word suke. It's the word for mind. It's the way, it's the place that we process our thoughts, our emotions. It's that place that goes to war when you try to get into bed and you can't fall asleep because you're worried and anxious and frustrated and irritated and all those kinds of things. And Jesus says, if you will learn from me, what you will find take place in your life is you will find rest for your souls. So that's what will happen. He says in verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. These are the words of your Savior. These are the words of the lover of your soul. These are the words of the one who hung on a cross for you because he loves you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. I thank you, Father God, that it is the thing by which we are so radically transformed. In fact, it's not a thing. It's your word. It's your son. Your word says that Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And so this morning, Father, thank you that, that, the, that, that, that the life and the spirit that inhabits your word would be made manifest in us. That more, this morning, Father God, we would learn from you. I pray, Lord, that you would shift our understanding. You would shift out of our lives the lies that have entangled us in, in a place of being able to, of, be, of being stuck. And that you would bring us into four momentum as we follow you, as we learn from you, as we move with you in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So you are called to follow Jesus and you are called to live with Jesus. And the process of following Jesus and living with him is that we choose to learn from him. We choose to learn from him. You know what it takes to learn from somebody? It takes humility. It takes a surrendering, a yielding of yourself to say, you know what, Jesus, I'm going to do things your way. In fact, when we choose to do that, what we acknowledge is that his way is always better than our way. Isn't that true? I know that I've found that to be true in my life, and I'm certain that you found it to be true in your life. His way always works out to be better than our way. And so what it means to follow Jesus is that we come to him to learn from him, and what he exchanges with us in that learning process is that we get to take on his way of life. When Jesus said, take my yoke, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, he was saying there is a way to live your life. There is a kingdom reality. There's a new way to live your life. You want to live like this. But it requires that you learn from me. It requires that you choose my way over your way. How many of you have done something in your life and you've done it for long enough until you realize, gosh, this is not a good idea? And then you lament for a season, why did I not learn quicker? Why did it take so long to get to this place? Well, the reality is, is that we give attention to God's word. If we position ourselves in humility to heal to his word, we will learn from him and we will take on the life of the kingdom, which is easy and light. We'll live in joy and peace. This is the mark of the kingdom because the spirit of God leads us. I want you to go with me very quickly to Colossians, the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter one. We're going to bounce around in in scripture this morning. Oh, wow. 
Colossians chapter 1. And I'm going to read to you just one scripture out of Colossians 1. And it is verse 9. It's Paul praying a prayer over the church. And he says this. He says, For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So this is the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to this church, and he's saying, you know what? When I pray for you, when I am uh, in that posture of prayer, when I've inclined my heart before the Father, and I have you in my heart, and I'm praying for you, he says, you know what I'm praying? I'm praying that God would cause you to walk in wisdom and spiritual understanding. Wisdom and spiritual understanding. That means there's an understanding that's not spiritual and a wisdom that's not wise. There is a way to do things that doesn't work out. So I love this example. Knowledge is this. Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. You know that, hey? A tomato is a fruit. It's not a vegetable. It's a fruit. Knowledge knows that a tomato is a fruit, but wisdom knows not to put it in a fruit salad. Well, I don't know. Anybody have tomorrow in their fruit salad? I don't think so. But, but the reality is this. There, there is a way to do life, the, the proverb says. There's a way that seems right to man, but its end is what? Destruction. There is wisdom and there is spiritual understanding that leads to life. It's what we're learning from Jesus. It's, it, we're taking our cue from him. We understand that we're following him and that our ideas are not always the best ideas, but his always are. His ways are better than mine. And so we search his scriptures, we get into his word, because what comes to us is wisdom and spiritual understanding. And Paul prayed that. Think about that. Paul the apostle, who has face-to-face encounters with Jesus. I, you know, I know that everybody in this room, if you're born again, you, had, you have an amazing story of how Jesus found you. <laughs> but I don't know if any of you were on your way to commit a murderous crime, and Jesus knocked you off your horse. I don't know if any of you were on your way to do something and the Lord himself appeared to you. Well, that's who Paul is. And so Paul has this radical encounter with God. He walks faithfully with God. He writes much of the New Testament. This man knows Jesus. And when he is praying for the church, he's praying this, that your life would be filled with wisdom and spiritual understanding. He goes on to say, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work. He says, the fruitfulness of your life is determined by you learning from Jesus. The word disciple means to be a student. It means to learn from the Lord. And so when we sit down in the Word of God, maybe we would do better if we weren't looking for something just to post on Facebook. Or a nice little saying to put on our Twitter account. Or maybe a pithy little thing to throw at our friends when we're having a cup of coffee. Maybe if we took it and we said, this is a manual for my life, and I'm going to learn from Jesus. I'm going to learn from Jesus how to treat my wife. I'm going to learn from Jesus how to, how to walk out uh, you know, things with, with an enemy, because the Bible tells us how to do that. I'm going to learn how to pray. I'm going to learn how to trust the Father. All these things come from walking with Jesus. And the reality of when we learn to do that, what's going to happen for you? You're going to find ease and lightness to your life. Now, that doesn't mean it's without trouble and hardship. It just means that what the enemy tries to put on you, God in you, his strength in you can endure. I want to read to you a prayer that I pray for us, and it's 
out of, um, out of the same portion of Scripture in Colossians, and it's out of the message translation. So as we learn from Jesus, we are strengthened by Jesus. As we learn, as we put His Word in our heart, we're strengthened by Him. This is what Paul prays. It's in the message translation. He says this. He says, we pray that you'll have the strength to stick it out over the long haul. You see, this is what happens when the wisdom of God, when the Word of God becomes wisdom for you. The Bible says, and I think it's in 1 Corinthians, that God has made Jesus to be wisdom for you. You know, when, when, when praise was sharing at, at um, tithes and offerings, well done, praisey. But this is the reality, is that Jesus is every one of those Old Testament names rolled into one. He is your provision. He is your healer. He is your righteousness. He is the one who sanctifies you. He's all of that. He is God on display in the earth. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And when we learn from him, it's radical. It's life-changing. It changes everything for us. And so God is saying, I want you to be strengthened. So when we walk with him, we are strengthened. And this is his prayer. He says, you'll have the strength to stick it out over the long haul. That was my point. Is that when you have the wisdom of God and spiritual understanding, you're not going to be a flash in the pan Christian. not going to be in one week and out the next because that's not how we walk with Jesus. We're not going to be, oh, I've got, I've got this and then the next week. You know, the Bible calls that man an unstable man, like a wave tossed to and fro. The Bible says, let him not think he will receive anything from the Lord. It's quite a statement because faith positions itself in trust in the goodness of God, that He's for me and not against me, that He's going to work this out because He's for me. He's not going to let me down. He's a faithful Father. He's good and He's kind. Everything's changed in Jesus, and so we put our trust towards that. He says, the strength to stick it out over the long haul. Not the grim strength of gritting your teeth, but the glory strength God gives. It's strength that endures the unendurable and spills over into joy. Isn't that amazing? So the wisdom of God, this spiritual understanding, when it's deposited into our lives, when we embrace it and we learn from Jesus, it doesn't matter what we face. It doesn't matter what we have to endure or go through. We go through it, and the the strength of God produces in us joy. How can you face that thing in your life and be happy? Is there something wrong with you? No, everything's right with me because Jesus is with me. It's because He is in me. And something radical begins to change because God is a strength that the world cannot comprehend. God is a strength the enemy cannot contend with. And that strength has come to live on the inside of you. The person of God has come to make his abode in you. It's not the grit your teeth, grin and bear it kind of strength. It's glory strength. It's strength that builds up and endures and helps you endure and spills over into joy. Radical, radical joy. Go with me to Psalm 92, Psalm 92. Are you there, Psalm 92? I'm going to read verse 1 and verse 2. This is what it says. It says, it is good to give thanks to the Lord. Wisdom, spiritual understanding. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High. This is wisdom and spiritual understanding. To declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night. This is wisdom and spiritual understanding 
understanding. So here the psalmist writes these beautiful beautiful verses, and he says, it's good to give thanks to the Lord. Now that word there, good, the first time that word good is used is in the book of Genesis, and it's used by God himself as he speaks over creation, the creation that he's just spoken into existence, and he says, it is good. When he gets to man, he says, it's very good. So the reason I tell you that is because I believe there's a, there's a hermeneutical principle, there's a principle in reading the Bible, understanding the Bible, that allows us to understand something about God from a verse of primary reference, the first place it took place, the first instant that it's used. And the first time this word good is used, it's used by who? By God. You know, when God says something is good, oftentimes it's a little off what we think is good. Spiritual wisdom or wisdom and spiritual understanding. You know what? It's important for you and I to understand what is good from God's perspective. Not from our own, but from God's perspective. What's good from God's perspective? What does he consider is good? And he says here, it is good to give thanks to the Lord. It's good that we give him Thanks. It's good that we open up our mouths and say thank you to the Father. It's a good thing. It's a radical good thing. So this is what Thanksgiving does. It changes your perspective. It changes how you see things. You know, when we complain and we moan and we grumble, we are poisoned. (laughs) We are poisoned. Remember, wisdom and spiritual understanding. The first time this idea of good or this word is used, it's used by God himself. And God's saying to us, this is a good way to live your life. From my perspective that you give thanks. Go with me to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 21. Numbers chapter 21. I'm going to read to you from verse 4 down to verse 9. It's a story about the Israelites, and I'll just take you through the story and make a point, and we'll move on. Verse 4 says, Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. So they're in the wilderness. They're trudging through a dry and dusty and dreary place. They're they're in the wilderness. And they are discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. They're complaining. They're grumbling. They're upset. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? What's up with you, God? What's up with you, Moses? You brought us out to die? Like, seriously? So you brought us out to die. For there is no food, no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. (laughs) Now, the worthless bread that we're eating was manna. I don't know about you, but we spend a lot of money every month trying to feed our faces. I'd be okay with a couple of years of God paying that bill, right? <laughs> Every day there's good, there's manna from heaven. Angel's bread. Hey, I think that's the direct translation. It's angel's bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Just hang on. We'll explain. It says, therefore the people came to Moses and said, we've sinned. Ish. 
Oh, where am I? It's a big mistake. We've sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. Uh, that word fiery there is the word bronze. Make a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. He lived. Interesting story. I want to backtrack just a moment. And I want to remind you of the story in the Garden of Eden. And Satan, the great deceiver, he inhabits the body of an animal, and he deceives Eve and tricks Adam into sinning, and they sin. And the animal is cursed. Who remembers the curse that came upon that animal? It said, on your belly you shall go all your days. Hey. And that, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking like this big lizard, it lost its legs, and it became a snake. <laughs> That's the idea. But it lost its leg. I was thinking about that a while ago. And I thought, you know what is interesting to me? Is that God paints a picture for us in that illustration of who Satan is. Because Satan is not um, a snake. That's not who he is, right? It was a picture of an animal that he inhabited to deceive Adam and Eve. But the Bible says that animal lost its legs. And I thought to myself, isn't that maybe a picture of Satan that because of his sin, he's lost the ability to bow? He can never bow to God. He can never repent because of his rebellion and his sin. That's the picture of Satan, right? See, it's different for you and I because God's left us with knees. He's left us with the ability to repent because he's seen our need and Jesus has been gracious to us. You know, the Bible says in the book of John, John chapter 3, it, it relates to this portion of Scripture. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, he says um, that like the serpent um, for the Israelites, he, said, he talks about the Son of Man being lifted up. And so this serpent was lifted up and drew what? Their sin. Their complaining. And they were healed. It's the same thing with Jesus. Jesus becomes the one that heals our hearts so that we can learn from him. But what, what was their sin? It was that they were complaining. And they were grumbling. And they were moaning. And they were bitten. And this is what I felt like the Lord said to me. You know, when we grumble and complain and we moan about where we are and we're bitter in that regard, it's like the enemy gets to bite us and poison us with the very same poison that has robbed him of the ability to surrender to God. And when we complain and we moan and we allow that to make our hearts bitter, we get to a place where we refuse to yield to God and we refuse His wisdom and His spiritual understanding and we choose to walk in our own pattern, in our own way. And that's a dangerous thing. You know, we can't be people that complain. We need to be those that do what? That give thanks. It is good to give thanks to the Lord. Go with me to the book of Job in Job chapter 1. I must say, I have attempted many times to read the book of Job and have never read it in its entirety. I've read it, the whole book, but not at once. You know what I mean? Like, I've, I've had to go through it over a very long period of time. It's not my favorite book to read, okay? But who am I to stand in judgment of Scripture, okay? But I'm just saying, it's not my favorite book to read. But I'm going to read to you verse 20 in a moment, okay? And... Um, and so I'll just tell you what happens up until this point. 
Job has his whole world devastated. And, um, and it's because the enemy is granted permission, or the enemy is able to come in, Satan's able to come in and to destroy his life. I don't want to get into the whole theological thing around that, but Satan comes along, and he just systematically, these, I think if I remember correctly, there's these three major blows. His, his children get all killed. All of his animals get raided. There's two different groups of people that come in and raid him, and Job, in, in, in a day, is left baroque and broken. His children are gone. His possessions are gone. Everything that's dear to him. And he's a righteous man. The Bible says he goes daily and offers up sacrifices. He's a good man. But in an instant, everything is taken from him. Everything. Everything. And in verse 20, this, the Bible says this, Then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head. You know, for me, that's a picture of grieving. You know what? Job doesn't get this news, and he's just the stoic kind of like, oh, I don't care. Oh, it doesn't matter. You know, no, life sucks sometimes. And sometimes it's painful, and sometimes it's hard to deal with. And we want to complain, and we want to moan, and we want to grumble, and we want to get back, and we want to get even, and we want to, but that's not God's way. Yeah. It's not His wisdom, and it's not living with spiritual understanding. It's not His way. It's not God's good for you and I. Why is it not God's good for us? Because you and I are unique in creation and that we are born again. For those of you in this room who are born again, you surrendered your life to Jesus and the idea of good for you has changed. Your good is in Christ and it's with Him and it's taken on a very, very different reality. He mourns. It took some time to shave his head. <laughs> Job did not have an electric razor. He probably didn't even have a good pair of scissors. He maybe had a sharp knife and a sharpening stone. And it took him time. He mourned. He was broken. He was tormented by his loss. But look what he does next. The Bible says, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. He fell to the ground and worshipped. He fell to the ground. Now, I don't want to read the next part of the prayer because I think he missed it a little bit. But we're not going to talk about that today. I think in his limited understanding, Jesus hadn't yet come. He, he couldn't understand all of that. But he fell to the ground and worshipped. What do we do? When life is difficult and tough and it's not going our way and things aren't working out the way that we expected. Family, I want to give you permission to mourn. It's okay. But don't sin in your mourning. Just like the Bible says, don't be angry and sin. Don't be like the Israelites and complain against God and curse God and, and be upset with Him. Don't do that because He's for you. Why? Because He's good. He is good. He's kind and He's faithful. You know, sometimes things go wrong in our lives, and we begin to tell ourselves a story. I can't remember what it is. It was in a book I read. It's about uh, a psychologist talk about how we tell ourselves different narratives to cope with where we are. So the example would be, Corinne and I go out for dinner, and my precious wife is generally never late. That's my, 
my department. And um, so anyway, so we decide to go for dinner, and you know, I'm waiting at Circus Circus, and she says, I'm going to be there at 6 o'clock, and you know, miracle of miracles, uh, well, let's know. No, I was actually doing a counseling session, that's why I wasn't late. I was at Circus Circus, and so I couldn't be late. And I'm sitting there waiting for Corrine, and you know, 10 minutes past 6, I look at my watch, and I'm like, oh, wow, you know. She's late. And, and then I'll say to myself something like, oh, oh, you know, she was fetching the kids and just taking them to my in-laws, so maybe there's a bit of traffic. That's not a problem. But I tell myself a story, right? So that's cool. And then I sit there, maybe order myself a cup of coffee. But maybe half past rolls around, and I'm thinking, oh, wow, gosh, that's not really like Corrine. Hey, wow, I wonder what happened. And so maybe I think, let me, let me get a hold of her. So I grab my phone, and I phone her, and her phone just rings, and she doesn't answer it. Where do your thoughts go to next? Hey. Maybe I get a bit angry, oh, you know, this, this, this woman, seriously, you know, we made these plans, you know, maybe 15, you know, five minutes later, I phone again, she's still not answering, now I'm thinking, maybe something's gone wrong, you know, maybe, what happens is we begin to tell ourselves different narratives as to why things are going like they're going in our lives, and so often, just like Job does a little bit later, but, but he wrestles that somehow God's against me, I want to tell you, family, God's not against you. He's chosen never to be against you. He's chosen to be for you. When your life is chaotic, it's not evidence that God has forsaken you, is not for you. It's evidence that we have an enemy. So what do we do? Well, we can mourn, but we worship. Because it's good to give thanks to the Lord. Because thanksgiving changes your perspective. But not only does it change your perspective, it releases a power to heal. It releases a power, the power of God to restore. It releases the power of God to go before you and set right every crooked path. It sets the power of God at, at, at work in your life to restore and to heal and to revive. Why? Because we've chosen what's good. We've chosen what's God. Amen? So let's go back there to Psalm 92. Are you with me? It's good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High. To sing praises to His name. To sing praises with His name. The word praises there is, is a Hebrew word that means to strike with your fingers. And what it means, is the picture is somebody playing a harp or playing a guitar or playing the piano. It's using your fingers to praise God. That's the idea of this praise. So that's why they put the word in front, sing. Sing is not there in the Hebrew. It's just this word praises, which means to hit an instrument. So there's an inferred understanding here that I'm going to sing praises to God. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to use my faculties, my body. I'm going to use all that I am to sing to God. I want to say to you, family, and I say this in love, it's not okay to worship God like this. And I, I don't want to condemn you. I don't want to make you. But the Bible says, it says, clap your hands, all you people. It says, shout to the Lord with a voice of triumph. You know, one of the words for praise is to jump up and down and spin around violently. There are seven words in the, in the Hebrew language for praise, and every single one of them have something to do with you physically moving your body. One of them is to lay flat on the ground, just to lay on your face before the Lord, just lay there, to prostrate yourself. I've said that word wrong sometimes, but to just lay flat before the Lord, just to lay there. You know? 
So, so it's good. It's good to give thanks to the Lord, and it's good to sing praises to your name, O Most High. You know what the, the psalmist is writing? He's saying, when you're singing, don't be blind to who you're singing to. Don't be short-sighted about the one that you're singing to. He's the Most High. He's the Most Powerful. He's the Most Glorious. You know, when Jesus comes on the scene, the Bible tells us that he says to the people, he says, hey, I want you to know something with God, all things are possible. Isn't that amazing? And I guess the psalmist is writing the same thing here. He's saying, sing uh, and sing praises to, to your name, O Most High, the Most High God, the God with whom all things are possible. So our thanksgiving is vocalized. Lord, I thank you. I bless you. I love you. Thank you that you're for me. Thank you that you're not against me. We begin to declare his promises. And then that should move our hearts to the point of going, I want to praise you. I want to dance. I want to sing. I want to celebrate before you. Who's gotten so happy, so excited about the God that you serve that you couldn't help yourself but move and dance and celebrate? Maybe I should let that be a rhetorical question. But the reality is there's something so good about God that it should move you to celebrate. It should move you to worship. It should move you to that good thing. Now remember, I understand that there are moments in our lives that, that, that come to rob us of joy. In fact, the, the plot of, of, of Satan in Job was to cause Job to sin against God so that God would have to... <laughs> but God would have it that you would thank Him that you would worship and that you would celebrate him. And then it goes on to say, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night. To declare. This word declare means to stand boldly out opposite. (laughs) That's how they put it there. To stand boldly in opposition. To declare, to declare the loving, loving kindness in the morning, your faithfulness every night. So remember, we, we tell ourselves different stories about where we are and what's going on, and we can do that. The Bible says here, to declare means to stand in opposition to what's being declared against you. The enemy says, no, you're not going to make it. And no, it's not going to work out for you. It's going gonna, it's gonna to fall apart. It's not going to work out. But what we do is we stand in opposition to that, and we declare His loving kindness. We declare His faithfulness. We declare He's for us. God's not going to let us down. God's not going to run out on us. Why? Because He's faithful. And we stand against in opposition to that thing. Our declaration is in, it's, it's, a, it's a warring word. Not really. I'm, I'm telling you it is. I'm making it a warring word from today. To declare is to go to war with the enemy because we stand in opposition to what his lies are and we declare God's loving kindness, right? Go with me quickly. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Go with me quickly to Psalm 103. I just want to say one thing about loving kindness. And I suppose I should end because it's time to. Psalm 103. And um, I'm going to read to you verse 4. It says, Who redeems your life from destruction and who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who crowns you with loving kindness 
and tender mercies, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. This is not the primary reference, but this is the same word that's used there in Psalm 92. If you could go back to Psalm 92 there, please, for me, Shan. So in Psalm 92, it says for us to declare his loving kindness in opposition to the lies of the enemy, in opposition to everything that Satan's trying to erode out of your life. So we declare that in opposition to, but we declare his loving kindness. And here in Psalm 103, it says the thing that should crown your life is his loving kindness. So what does it mean? I, I, I think of what a crown is. Um, Karina and I watched this, uh, this series on Netflix years ago about the queen. It was called, what was it called? The crown. It was called the crown, hey. And uh, my wife just loves th- that whole thing, the royals and stuff. And so we watched it. And, and I mean, they have some beautiful headgear, you know. <laughs> but the reality is that headgear distinguishes them from everybody else. It's like, I'm the queen, you're really, you're whatever. Okay, if you've got some bling, you must be the queen, right? You're in charge. So the reality is the Bible is saying to us, let his loving kindness distinguish you in every circumstance. In every situation, let be what defines you is his reality concerning you, not your own. The, the word there has, has said, it's more than kindness, it's loving kindness. It's more than God just choosing to be kind to you. His heart is fully devoted to being kind to you because he's in love with you. That's the word has said. It's, it's slightly different. So God's chosen to be kind to you, not because he's a nice guy, that too, he's good, but because he is so radically in love with you. He loves you. Let that thing distinguish, let it mark your life. Let what crowns you be his opinion of you, not what the enemy is trying to smother you with. Let your declaration, let your standing in opposition to what the enemy is trying to do be what he declares over your life. And then he says, I'll do that in the morning and then at night. And, you know, again, the Bible is so beautiful and poetic and the Psalms are poetic. And so we should sometimes read them. And, and you know how you did English at school? Uh, maybe for you Afrikaans people, you did Afrikaans poems and the Zulu people, you did Zulu poems, right? But you had to sit there and figure out what Shakespeare was saying about this and then you're like, oh, who cares? Can I go play rugby? But here, you know, but here the reality is God, God's saying something. Hey, I want to say to you sometimes the night, the night represents the darkest places of our lives. It represents that three o'clock wake up and you're anxious and your heart's pounding. You can't even put your finger on why you're awake and why you can't go back to sleep. And the Bible says the remedy for that is his faithfulness. The Bible says when you begin to ponder, when you begin to think, when you begin to chew the cud, just make sure you fed yourself on his faithfulness. So that when you're lying in that bed or you're sitting in that car or you're sitting outside that room about to hear that diagnosis, that your heart is not going to fail you in your darkest moment because you've allowed the faithfulness of God to undergird you. God's faithful. God's faithful. That means he's not going to turn his back on you. He's not going to walk out on you. He's not going to forget about you. He's not going to go with a better option than you. He is faithful. And not only is he going to stick with you, but it's in his heart to perform his good word to you. That's what it means to be faithful. Faithfulness is I phone you and you ask me to help you do something. Like not fix a car or change a light bulb. I can't do those things. But I can come and help you. Maybe take, drive you in a car or do something. So we make that plan. And faithfulness is that I arrive on time to help you and to do what I said I would do. That's God being faithful. God arrives in our lives on time to do what he promised to do. Listen, God has promised to do things with you without consenting with you. 
The promise of Jesus spoken through the Old Testament, the prophetic words of the coming Messiah that would redeem you and set you free and make you whole and forgive you and all these wonderful things and comfort you like the book of Isaiah tells us was without your consideration. Without you even knowing, God could have said that there in Genesis 3, said, I'm going to send someone and then think, "Mm, bad idea, let's not do that. And you and I would have been none the wiser. Nobody else would have known. Was anybody, were any of you there to counsel God? Were any of you in the garden there just, you know, kind of helping out? No, none of us were. God was faithful because that's his character. That's his nature. And he's been faithful to you before you even knew that there was a God who could be faithful. My point is, in your darkest moments, in your darkest nights, don't forget what he's promised to you. And don't forget his character and his nature to fulfill what he promised to do for you in every circumstance of your life. He's so good. He's so good. He's so good. Last scripture, and we're going to close. I know I'm taking time here, but you know what? I'm just going to finish on this last scripture. 1 Thessalonians 5. We started off learning from Jesus. That's the commission of our lives, to learn from Jesus. We position ourselves under his yoke, under his burden. It's easy and light. We want his wisdom, his spiritual understanding. We want to know his will for our lives. That's what we want to do. So here in 1 Thessalonians 5, if I can find it, it says, this is the will of God for you in everything that you give thanks. Is one of you there? There we go. There we go. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 18, and we'll end with the scripture. It says, well, let me back up. Let me do verse 16. It says, rejoice always. <laughs> good call. Good idea. And it's God's good, not just ours. God's good. Sometimes God, God's good doesn't look like a good idea to us, but it's always a good idea, hey? Moments in our life don't call for rejoicing, but he says rejoice always, so we choose to do his good over our good. It says rejoice always, pray without ceasing, he says, in everything, not for everything, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Friend, moaning and groaning and complaining will blind you to the goodness of God. Not only that, it will poison you with the poison that's bound Satan in rebellion for all of eternity. God says to us, it's a good thing to give thanks, to rejoice, to bless him, to declare his word. Because after giving thanks and after worshiping God, what happens? You get to stand and declare in opposition to everything that the enemy would want to speak against you. And you know, when you stand and declare, I want to tell you something. This is the picture. It's like that little kid in the playground standing up to the big bully. And the little kid's standing there, and all of a sudden, he sees fear enter into the face of the bully. And he's thinking, I got it on. <laughs> You've messed with the wrong oak, because he, he decided to stand up to the bully. Hey. And what he doesn't realize is the principal is standing behind him, just looking at the bully, going, today's day, buddy. Because I heard about you bullying all the kids in the playground. You see, that's the reality. When we make that stand, because we've chosen to be thankful and chosen to worship, and we've chosen to do life from his perspective of good, we've learned from Jesus, we've put on his yoke and his burden, we get to stand and declare, and you know what? God shows up. And all of heaven shows up on your behalf. And I want to tell you, friend, it's not going to stay the same because he is for you and not against you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We hope that it has equipped you and empowered you. If you would like to partner with us, please take notes of our banking details below. And be sure to like and subscribe so you don't miss out on any of our weekly uploads.